my mom, I have it written down in a book in fifth grade, that she told me that she loved me that day, and it was the first time in years that I had heard it. I had seen it in writing, but I hadn't heard it from her. I, I think one thing that I have learned and that I'm, I'm open to is that we create our own families, and yeah, there's always emotions, and there's always something connected to the person who is supposed to have the title of mom, but that doesn't mean that they're your mother. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become Welcome to the show. Uh, today it's Laura and Melissa here, and we have the privilege of being together with our guests in the studio in Portland, which we don't always get to do. Yep. Um, and uh, our guest here is someone that I met on my journey uh, to being a birth support and being a part of um, Early Mama Stories. Um, and Tiffany, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, kind of what you have going on? Um, Tiffany Decker owns a a doula practice here in the Portland area. She's also trained um, in doing sleep coaching, and she's kind of touched all areas of this early mama transition. And yeah. so, we thought it would be a really, really big privilege to have her on and kind of share about her own personal story. So, if you just want to tell us kind of what you have going on in your life and in your business world, and then we'll kind of get into your story. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you touched on it. I've definitely, I'm kind of a jack of all trades. So I have a doula agency that offers birth and postpartum support classes. I teach childbirth ed. I um, am a doula trainer. So I have a separate business that is um, doula training, mentoring, and business coaching for doulas. Um, And sleep coaching is our newest service that we've offered. Um, so I kind of offer a whole realm of things. I like all of it. I like encompassing everybody in their entire journey, um, which I'm able to do by my multiple businesses. Um, and I'm a mom. I have two kids. Um, my oldest is nine and my youngest is seven. And it was his birth story that launched me into, into the birth world. So, yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, about his birth? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I I purposely love both of my birth stories, or both of the boys' birth stories. Um, the second, Grady, my youngest, that birth story, I had moved up here and been um, kind of surprised by getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and we were in the conversation of do we or do we not have another one. Um I knew to the area, didn't know anybody, and was just taking, you know, referrals from the random people that I barely even knew. And they referred me to a practice, and the providers weren't available, and so I just kind of got put with whoever was available in a practice. Started down seeing that provider and didn't have childcare, so I had to bring Griffin with me through mm. every appointment. And about halfway through my appointments, I realized this provider does not like my oldest son being there and at some point she looked at me while he's playing with something he probably shouldn't have been playing with at an appointment anyway um she looked at me and she's like so what are you gonna do about him with during the birth and I told her our only option was my um, mother-in-law who lived in Eugene at the time 
And she suggested to me um, that I think her statement was, you know, some people will plan a cesarean so that they can have for sure child care. Wow. And that was not the birth choice that I was wanting to make at mm-hmm. that time. And I felt like that was pretty forward to just suggest that right, just yeah. so I would have child care. Um, and it really made me start exploring other providers. And um, that happened to be an obstetrician. And um, I started looking into midwife options and switched to somebody else in, a, in the same practice, but who, uh, a midwife. And immediately I felt a shift in mm-hmm. my care. I was, I suddenly was in control of my, my birth and my care and I was directing it Mm -hmm. from that point forward. My entire, the entire process was better. I didn't feel like I was, um, under influence by anybody. I felt like my voice was being heard. My appointments, they sat down and listened to me and asked me what I wanted rather than suggesting what they thought was best for me. Um, there was dialogue, uh, come the birth story, um, come to the time of birth, I showed up and, um, you know, with Griffin, I had an epidural and I just assumed I was going to have an epidural this time. And the birth just went so fast and so easy. And my nurse was so amazing the entire time Mm. that, um, you know, I would have a big contraction. I'd be like, I'm hot. And she's like, do you want a popsicle? I'm like, yes. And she already had them in her hand. You know, Mm. she had the tub filled up for me before I ever even knew I wanted to go in the tub. Things like that. So really anticipating your needs. Yeah. So she was really there as support that, you know, she was anticipating my needs, but she wasn't hovering. And she was Mm. just right there when I needed somebody to be there. And I ended up having an um, unmedicated birth and totally unexpected. And I felt like a rock star. Um, You know, the baby came out. I looked at my husband. I was like, did you see what I just did yeah (laughs) that was exactly and then I was like oh hey baby (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it just changed the course of everything and she gave me a hug at the end she was like that was an awesome birth I'm like oh it can be like this I had no idea and that Mm. that experience stuck with me and I I had been staying home with my oldest and I was like, I got to get back into work. I got to get back into work. I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I'm not a good stay-at-home mom. Um, and um, I, I, like thought, I thought midwifery might be where to go. And before I spent a ton of money on grad school and time with an infant and a two-year-old and going into midwifery, I was like, I maybe should just take a doula training and see if I even mm-hmm. like being at birth. Yeah. And doula training, doula is stuck with me because I saw it that support is not always available everywhere and with each support and was so instrumental to me and I so valuable and absolutely no liability yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a lot of benefits to this and, yeah and, and that's where the two of you met right yeah exactly and at that doula training so. yeah yeah yep. and yeah. was that here in Portland yes it yes. was yeah yeah okay yeah, because I know now you're such a an advocate, obviously for birth support, but really specifically for like making it accessible to the people that don't have access to it, and and like like we talked about at the beginning, like providing this really holistic and and overarching range of support for families, not just you know one little piece of it. Yeah, you know what's the access that I want available to everybody is that is is non-judgmental access mm-hmm. so i think i i say this over and over 
I think what our clients find from doula support is that we're filling a void of non-judgmental support, true 100% support that is exactly for them what they need in that moment without anybody, without our opinion. And we rarely, rarely get that any other time in our life. Yeah. Um, we rarely get that from family members. And that is what people hold on to and what they value. It's not what they hire us for. They don't realize it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's what it is what changes and why they why they value it so much afterwards. Yeah. I think that that's such a great way of kind of encapsulating what a doula really is. I think that, I mean, I'm sure you experience this all the time. People who have doubts of whether they need doula support or Mm -hmm. that. How many times have you had a conversation where it's like, what are you like, or with a partner who's like, well, what do I do? Or what do you do? And it's like, Mm -hmm. that is such an amazing way to answer that question because I feel like people maybe on the outside looking in do come after the support piece, which is obviously, like Mm -hmm. you said, what was so empowering to you was this kind of like this you know, unwavering support. Mm -hmm. But I think that what what you're talking about is something we talk about on all phases of that cycle. So it's not just in the labor process and the birth process, but in postpartum and even in prenatal meetings, it's like you cannot throw a rock and not hit someone who wants to tell you that your opinion is wrong about Mm -hmm. being a parent. Mm-hmm. or about yeah. becoming a mom mm-hmm. and and sometimes it's based in really good you know like you're with family it might be from a really good place where they're like i care about you and i i see mm-hmm. you suffering and i want to alleviate your suffering by telling you to let your baby cry it out or let your baby be swaddled or insert mm-hmm. opinion here but the reality is it's coming from like you said it's from a it's a judgment mm-hmm. it's a judgment of what you're doing with a correction added mm-hmm. and yeah. doula support is, is such a like breath of fresh air away from that and mm-hmm. i i think that you know i'm i remember um, maybe, I don't remember, maybe it was Jesse who said basically the same thing. Like I thought about being a midwife and then I realized doula was the place where I got to give this support mm-hmm. with no strings attached. Like in the sense of like, mm-hmm. like you're saying no liability, no agenda, no practice mm-hmm. outcomes. No, you know, it's just like, I get to be with women. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. the essence of it. And I think that's such a beautiful expression of what you do. And I'm mm-hmm. so glad that women out there are have access to you and, and the people in your group. I think that that is, you know, we talk about being lucky and being in the birth bubble of Portland, but the thing is like, as things grow here, the, it like seeps out. It yeah. Moves. It has a ripple effect. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. I think that that's we, awesome. We get to model things for, for areas that, that, I mean, we need growth too. We all need growth, yeah. but we get to be a model of that. I think, I mean, we just, a couple of weeks ago, we also did an episode where we talked about the same kind of support and the same kind of care and how women often think like, well, that's not for me if I need to have a C-section or if I'm planning to have pain medication during birth. It's like they think that this kind of care, like doula care, is only intended for women or only, you know, appropriate for women who are, you know, planning unmedicated birth or that kind of thing. And I think that that's just really really an unfortunate misunderstanding because mm-hmm. the care that that a doula provides and that that sort of unconditional support I think unconditional is such mm-hmm. a good word for it like there's no judgment it doesn't matter what you're planning it doesn't matter what happens along the way it doesn't matter like how things change it doesn't matter what weaknesses or strengths you have mm-hmm. we're just here for you mm-hmm. yeah and you know, this conversation make, is making me realize that even the word support in our society is so watered down. It's totally. Nobody even understands. It's just a word people throw out there. Yeah, like right? the word there's community. No meaning. Yeah. yeah. There's no meaning to it anymore. Yeah. And I feel like we need to re-message what doula, doula work is, you yeah. know, that yeah. unconditional caring and holding, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your transition to motherhood and, and what that's been like for you? Yeah. Um, I When we got pregnant the first time with my oldest, um, I was on the five more year plan. Mm. So <laughs> I had actually had just trained to be a certified nurse assistant. And the hospital that I trained at had a nursery at the time. And I remember going past the nursery on our tour, and I needed to be about 10 feet away because I was like, ugh, weird babies. And I had never <laughs> held, held a baby. I wanted nothing to do with it. I've come to um, I've come to learn when I have really big reactions like that, that it usually comes full circle. Right. <laughs> um, and it did. So, you know, at that time, we got pregnant, and I immediately was really, really excited about it, um, which surprised me so much. And like I said, I enjoyed that birth experience. Um, what I didn't anticipate was the impact on how it would change my identity mm. and me. Yeah. Um, I We quit our job. I quit my job, and we moved up to Portland. We were in Southern California at the time. And I decided I was going to stay at home. Um, and so I went from my identity being packed into being a working person and a career person to now my identity as a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. And I had only seen Midwestern stay-at-home moms because I grew up in Nebraska. So right. that meant you baked a lot and you meal planned. And there's you a lot of casseroles. And there's a lot of casseroles. <laughs> I relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> And my mother-in-law was a midwife, was a, a Midwestern stay-at-home mom. And so immediately she sent me a meal planner, like a calendar with a meal planner. I'm like, this is so not me. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember just sitting on the gr ground, like staring at it. I'm like, oh my God, this, I, like my tasks in the day is grocery shopping and folding the laundry. And it was so unfulfilling for me. And I was bored. And I remember like even in pregnancy, being embarrassed by being pregnant sometimes because mm. I was the first in our group and it was just it was weird I didn't know how to be that person I had never seen anybody be that person yeah. before yeah. um and you know after a couple of years I I loved I loved a lot of my time with my staying at home with my son but the minute I had an opportunity to get out and like go back to work, I, I went for it yeah. and I needed it. And it's taken me a long time to realize that I can have both mm -hmm. of those things and be yeah. in, as my identity and to validate that I'm, I'm a better mom when I'm working yeah. than when I'm staying at home. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I definitely relate to that. And I feel like especially when Aiden my first was born that transition was so difficult and I really really needed the stimulation mm -hmm. of being you know out and doing things and building something and mm -hmm. um we also ha had an episode recently where we talked to someone about how like early motherhood is is actually the most creative time in someone's life like you're in this state of creation and so mm -hmm. that life force is like kind of it's like a blanket over your whole, you know, over your whole existence. And I think that when we can embrace that, we can, like you said, you can validate that, like, this is who I am. I have these other things I want to engage that I want to create mm -hmm. and allow yourself to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, um, well, I mean, it, it forces you into new perspective, right? Yeah. It gives you perspective of a family and something other than self, um, but then what we often do and what I see is that we deplete ourselves 
right? Mm-hmm. We put our, we put ourselves as martyrs. We don't sleep. We don't take care of ourselves. We put our exercise second. We put our needs second or third or fourth, whatever, wherever we put us in our own families. And then you turn, you, if you don't act on that creative force, if you don't act on what your needs are, mm-hmm. you end up with maternal depletion, yeah. which is another, which is the passion that drives me behind postpartum and sleep training yeah. is to end maternal depletion, mm-hmm. which is a term I'm stealing from one of my my mentors. But it just, when I heard that term, I was like, that is it. Yeah. That is what's, that is it. Yeah. that's this theme that runs through most of the clients we see after they have the baby. Right. You know? Yeah. And like you said, that, that martyr mentality where it's like, this is just what I have to do. I'm a mom now. So mm-hmm. of course I can't ever sleep again. Of course I have to like yeah. be a hundred percent on my game at all times and like never mm-hmm. ever lose my patience or, you know, mm-hmm. like put, like you said, go for a run. Yeah. 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 And I think that that is like such a, you know, it's such a encouraged normal, normal thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like they tell you that that's how you should feel. And by they, I just mean like society or even your own inner voice, your own inner voice of what's new and unknown says like, well, I've, I've always heard like, this is so hard. And I've always heard that I've, or I watched a friend or I saw it on, you know, whatever TV, but mostly it's like, you know, of your friend who's kid who didn't sleep. And mm-hmm. so you're like, well, I just kind of have to take this on now. Like, uh-huh. I, you yeah. know, and I think especially if you have that kind of personality who needs to then achieve in that, like, uh-huh. oh, well, I'm going to be the most depleted mom. <laughs> like, right. I, I am going to be, I'm never going to sleep. I'm on, I'm going to breastfeed constantly. Yeah. I am like, oh, totally. Because that's, now it's my job to be like the biggest martyr mm-hmm. in some ways. Like, I feel like that's actually something that happens. And it's such an important turn to make in that season because you will continue down that path mm-hmm. as a mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Into elementary school, middle school, high school, mm-hmm. and beyond. If you don't make those if you can't identify that at different stages well, in that their development. Can, that can become your identity. And 100%. it's like Brene Brown says, like right. exhaustion becomes a status symbol, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. and it and an identity. Like I look at my mom and my mom is a martyr. She is a saint. But like, you know, she's only got one kid left at home of 10. And she still like has that is her entire world, uh-huh. you know, yeah. and she pushes herself to to be what she feels she needs to be for her kids and her family, which is a beautiful thing. And I mean, it is hard to find the balance between understanding that like motherhood is sacrifice. We can't, we can't like pretend that it's not, but like you're saying, Tiffany, like we, sometimes we push ourselves to these, to these extremes that we like, who's asking this of us, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think there's two things there. There are people who honestly feel good with giving that much yeah you know and they are re-energized totally. i am not one of those people i it's get a good more distinction. and more yeah. worn down and then there is i think you know what you just brought up is who's asking this of us mm-hmm. and more often than not we're asking it or yeah. we're perceiving that other people are asking it of us mm-hmm. yeah but nobody else is i just had a conversation with my husband about You know, I spend a lot of time working. I'm gone a lot. And sometimes it's hard and I have down days where I'm like, maybe I maybe I should just give this up, you know. Mm -hmm. And I recently had a conversation with with my husband and I I said to him, I was like, you know, how would you feel? Actually I think I phrased it as, wouldn't you feel better if I just gave up my business? 
And he just stared blankly at me. He's like, please, no. <laughs> and he's like, no. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you mean? Don't you want me to be around more? Don't you want? And he's like, actually, our family works really well how we are. Mm. And it just opened. It just validated so many things. I was like, oh, my my marriage is better than I think that it is. I yeah. have all of this projection that I need to, that my kids need more from me, mm-hmm. that my husband needs more from me. And they're not actually asking it. I'm yeah. just projecting it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it was it was a really important conversation. And I think it's something that we don't think to stop and ask. And other parents don't stop to ask. That's that's really powerful. I think we all get stuck in that. I've done that so many times over the years. And even in big, like, shifts that I've made, like, having to really identify, like, why is it that I'm choosing to do this? Is mm-hmm. it because I think, like you said, that, you know, I need to be there for like the soccer practices that my kid won't even go to, mm-hmm. you know, or is it like that I think I need to like make dinner seven nights a week? Like, what is it that I am really holding, like what measurement am I holding myself up against here? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Wow. So tell us a little more about kind of just your, your like family history background, mm-hmm. how that has impacted your journey as a mother. Yeah, um, I have. So I grew up as an only child with a single mom. Mm-hmm. And um, the majority of my teenage years, she worked out of town. So I essentially raised myself from about 11 Yeah, how does on. a single mom with an a- that that's a <laughs> great so, um, so I lived in a small town, Nebraska, and um, this was all possible basically because I lived in a small town. I, yeah. At one point, my um, I had family members who actually lived next door, so there was somebody kind of watching, but I had free reign of the house since I was about eleven. Um, my my mom and I had a really strong bonded relationship you mm-hmm. have to but the farther away I get it from it um there's a lot of enabling that was happening um yeah. but you know I had I had my name on the checkbook when I was 11 or 12 so that I could go and buy groceries on my own um mm. she was a EMT um in a town that was about two hours away so she would work for multiple shifts and stay in in that town and then come back and then eventually she started having relationships and things like that and would be gone like weeks at a time there was one stretch at some point I was probably 16 or 17 when I hadn't seen her for about a month and a half or two months wow um my mother obviously if you can't haven't picked up she also had some mental health issues you know um uh which came from her family history too right so I would say that there aren't a lot of direct healthy family relationships um, or mother-daughter relationships in my family but I was lucky enough that I have two aunts um, my mom's sisters that influenced my life greatly so I had one who was like my surrogate mom Mm -hmm. um, and still is and then one who definitely is in the aunt role but very influential and and was can be there for me Mm my mom's mental health actually took quite a turn when I was in college, and um, it's been this fall will be 13 years since I've talked to her. Wow. Yeah. Um, so your kids have never met her? Nope. Wow. Yeah. We have, there was a point when, when Griffin, my oldest, was born via other family members, I, I 
took a lot of time to think about it, but I offered when I was back in Nebraska for her to meet her grandsons. Mm -hmm. And I am so, so, so glad that she did not take me up on that offer Mm -hmm. um, because my life is so much better without the drama that she brings in Mm -hmm. and without the... um, just the the pain and the fighting and the the games and the and the I mean she has severe mental health issues so yeah. it is so much easier for me to not have to deal with that and not have to explain it to my children yeah. mm-hmm. and have them be part of it because she would have drawn them in and sucked them into it totally um, it's definitely an interesting conversation with my kids because they're old enough now to be like but wait a second who's your mom yeah you know yeah. Um, and I have to explain that this is her name and, uh, she's sick and she's not a very nice person and she can't help it. You know, I mean, yeah. as they get older, I'll be able to decide, I'll be able to help them decipher what was like choices in her life and yeah. what was mental health. Yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's, it definitely impacts me on a lot of levels but I'm balanced out having my aunts there too, so I do have yeah. some good. Were they good in the balances. hometown that you grew up in, so you you were able to see them a lot? Um, my one, the one who I'm closest with, she was the yeah. next door neighbor, okay. so she is yeah. definitely influential. Um, you know, it's interesting though because growing up in those formative years, it was kind of like surrogate mother-ish. But the older I get, so now her kids have kids Mm -hmm. so she has her own grandchildren and um that now puts me back in niece role Mm -hmm. so priorities go to her grandchildren and her kids so again I'm back kind of out in that floating role of like I kind of have a surrogate mom I don't really have a mom I kind of have where you know where am I (laughs) sort of thing which um you know, how that translates to my kids is I get to, when I take the time to stop and be thoughtful of how I'm parenting, because I don't always, (laughs) (laughs) I get to look at what were the things that impacted me that my my own mom did, because there were some things that she was amazing at, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, what were the things that my aunt did what are the positive things that influenced me and what did I feel that was missing and how do I give that to my children Yeah, and just hope that they see that. Mm-hmm. I know they're going to grow up and find voids that I, yeah. that are my blind spots anyway, right? You can't, yeah. can't make it perfect, but. How did you perceive it as a kid? Did it feel like your normal? Was it something that you knew was kind of broken and out of order or did it just feel like your life? It just felt like my life. Um, I knew my relationship with my mom and I knew my mother was not normal. But it was my normal. There was a lot of it I was really happy about and very proud of. Um, I think that's what you do as a kid, though, is you see what the positives are. Um, Yeah. It's your job. It's it's your job. Um, And it's a survival skill. It's a coping Mm -hmm. skill to look for the good things, you know. Um, the older you get, you realize like how much for me, I realized how much mental abuse there was and she's bipolar. And so like dealing with the mood swings and quitting jobs and, you know, I, my name was on the checking account because one time I realized 
at 11, we had, we were negative and we had bills due. And I was like pulling out cash out of a drawer from her waitressing job to go pay for groceries and bills that were overdue. So you you had a lot of responsibility on your shoulder to Mm -hmm. kind of feel like you had to keep, you know, the, the life of the family on, yeah, on par. And then in return, I got a lot of trust from her, which made me feel good. Right. right? So that's where the survival and the enabling comes in. Like there's some great skills I learned from her. And there are things that she did, you know, as a mom, she was, she would have my back, you know, probably not in a healthy way, but (laughs) (laughs) I also had loyalty from her and the love and, and trust, a lot of trust from her, which is, I think, how I was able to maintain in the, in the situation that I was in. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there were positives, um, but you know, you just don't realize how bad it was until you get away from it. Right. I think a lot of kids when they're in a situation like that and they have a lot of trust, like you said, and independence, and that is their normal. I think they really enjoy that independence, even Mm -hmm. though they may not be able to understand how it's not necessarily the best thing for them. But like you said, you also learned so many skills from having that independence that mm-hmm. I'm sure serve you in, in great ways as an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I will be the first to say that once I hit 18, I took grand, um, uh, a lot of, a lot of leeway yeah. with, with that independence. And, um, it actually resulted in me moving out of my house and living on my own during the last semester of high school, mm-hmm. um, which was fun. Yeah. <laughs> For a lot, I was not responsible with it. Um, but it also felt really cool at that time, yeah, you know, yeah. so that was, is an example of where it wasn't healthy for me, but it probably would have been less healthy for me to stay in the environment that I was. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's such a difficult thing to, I mean, listening to your story and thinking now your life is to help women be mothers yeah. and to be in that kind of state of I mean like of your heart soul calling when mm-hmm. you know by on the books most people would consider your your mother not you didn't have a mother right at some point in your life and, and like that was active yeah. in your story and I think like you know we talked about that that perceived judging from what mm-hmm. you know and I feel like I I think what I'm trying to ask is like how then you know your boys are approaching that kind of age that you were at when things just became all yours mm-hmm. Like, how does that change? How do you see that? Like you said, you kind of look back and you see these things that were positive and negative. Like, how do you look and say, there's no way I would possibly leave you. There's no way I would possibly, you know, I mean, what do you, how do you find that with them in the sense of like, you know, your adolescent story is so different than your, than your boys will be Uh in so many ways. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know if I've actively thought about it that way. Um, I can tell you I have fleeting thoughts of like, man, what if they don't talk to me when I'm thir- when they're 30, yeah. you know, yeah. and like, what mm-hmm. is it that, what if that happens? Yeah. Um, the things that I do differently that I think will keep us connected is, um, that my mom didn't do is that one, I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a perfect mom. So I may have days that I blow up and I yell. I do have days that I blow up and I yell. Well, I don't ever um, yell. <laughs> no one else yells. Uh-huh. No, one, uh-huh. no one listening yells yeah. at their children. Yeah, it's taboo in Portland to yell. Um, I live in I, Beaverton, though, so I it's yelled, okay. I yelled at my son. 
outside in the middle of the street where all the neighbors could hear yesterday. And I said, if you don't get your down to the car within three seconds, I'm canceling your birthday party at the top of my lungs. (laughs) I may or may not have threatened birthday parties before. (laughs) In fact, I've learned that if there is something big on the horizon, I need to take it off of the threat list because it's just (laughs) they're going to start knowing that it's going to be a threatened thing. Right. (laughs) Um, But I try to be honest with them. Um, I definitely am somebody who has anxiety and sometimes I have depression. And so I try to tell them, I'm like, hey, my brain doesn't feel good today. Or when you guys make lots of loud noises and this is happening and I'm trying to make do work, this is how it feels in my body. And it's hard for me to to respond in a way that's like the best way to respond. I try to walk them through it so they understand what's going for me. Um, I... I definitely make sure that I tell them I love them. Um, With my mom, I have it written down in a book in fifth grade Mm -hmm. that she told me that she loved me that day. And it was the first time in years that I had heard it. Mm -hmm. I had seen it in writing, but I hadn't heard it from her. Um, And my nine-year-old is in his nine-year-old state. Um, And it's an interesting where they're transitioning from kind of being a little too cool for their parents but not quite mm-hmm. and um we even had conversations yesterday where I'm like look we you're not always going to like what I'm doing or saying but I still have to be your parent but we can still love each other and we can still be here we just have to talk about it and you have to know and trust me and I'm going to know and trust you and we need to just keep that trust between the two of us and he's just like I don't know what you're talking about okay whatever (laughs) we're Trader Joe's you know um I guess I just try to be transparent and tell him that I just don't have this I don't know how to do this and I'm figuring it out and he's my first pancake you know so yeah um hopefully that keeps us connected enough and keeps the conversation going enough um that we just keep that connection and and we aren't estranged later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that it's so natural to fear that we'll recreate the cycles. You know, even oh, though you totally. even though you're you may be past the point in your life where you're worried that like you would, you know, go work in another town and abandon your children, like you probably are, yeah. you know, rational enough to know that that's not going to happen, but I think you could still fear, you know, that these certain outcomes would would be inevitable like you're saying like that you would Mm -hmm. be estranged at 30 and I think you know I've I have so many things like that that I relate to and I think I think sometimes even you just when we think of what we were like ourselves as adolescents in Mm -hmm. in sort of like reaction to our parental relationships that we we kind of feel like well I've got that coming my way you know Mm -hmm. like I'm sure that's going to come back around and maybe that's an inevitable Mm -hmm. part of life (laughs) but I mean that's one of my fears for sure is that like Mm -hmm. you know my son will be the kind of teenager that I was which certainly I wasn't the worst teenager but I wasn't the best either Mm -hmm. you know Uh, how do you deal with those fears like that fear of that you'll be 30 and you know your kids may not be like fully estranged but maybe they just don't call or come home very often or you know well, how do you deal with that um I don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know I mean I can't I can't dwell on it I yeah. don't want to manifest it yeah I do my best to see where it could lead that way and try to prevent it um yeah. 
One thing I know about kids, though, is that you have your best laid plans as a parent, and they make their own choices. Yeah. So um, there's only so much I can do as a parent, and as long as I try my best, they're going to make their own choices. And I don't always know where what I am doing is going to make them come to a point that they wouldn't want to talk to me. Yeah. But there, I also know that I have sensible kids and rational kids, and looking at my experience with my mom... There was a long history before that 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 disconnect happened. Yeah. Before that actual cutoff where we no longer spoke. Yeah. And I didn't make it. She did. Right. Um, and I chose to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know my kids well enough that you know they're not going to make snap decisions and just suddenly cut cut off communication with me. Right. Um, so. There's, I think there's always time to heal and talk and discuss. And that's also something we focus on as a family is just trying to talk things out and not just bottle emotions. Right. Well, yeah. you have a family unit that has chosen to be with each other. Yeah. You know, that's what's fundamentally different about mm-hmm. what you're creating for your sons than what you had. If there came a point where your sons wanted to, like, while they're still, you know, at home where they wanted to meet your mother... Would that be something you would encourage or? She wouldn't. She wouldn't. I wouldn't have that option. We actually, I have seen her once in the 13 years. Um, My my great grandmother turned 100. So it was her 100th birthday. Um, And that was the only time I've spoken with my mom. And she said nothing to my kids. Um, Mm. So I, I think. I think we, as a family, would have to sit down and talk about the benefits and risks of that. Um, And I would probably discourage it pretty heavily. I would probably not give non-biased information on that. Yeah, (laughs) I think, too, and I appreciate you sharing this with our audience. I think it's really easy when you don't either haven't had someone close to you in your life have severe mental health issues Mm -hmm. or have not been in relationships that are that volatile to make Mm -hmm. judgments Mm -hmm. you know I think it you know I think people are easy to say like but it's your mom like I'm I'm sure I'm sure someone in your life has said that to you and I think you know and this is something you know through you know studying in my nurse education and now as a midwife you can't use the same kind of rules so it's like you know and Mm -hmm. I've heard one of my professors say imagine playing Monopoly but there's no properties dice or players to move around but you have to keep playing Mm-hmm. That's what it's like interacting with someone who has severe mental issues. Mm-hmm. None of none of the regular approaches, none of the rules apply, mm-hmm. and and that's and again, that's someone who's choosing to live in mm-hmm. in in that mm-hmm. without getting help and without you know like the structure to come back. And I echo what Melissa said in the sense of like you have created you know people get the choice to create a family environment where pr- like expression of feelings, processing of feelings. Mm-hmm being able to own how you're hurt by each other, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being able to forgive each other. Those are, those are rules of life that, that bring, you know, bring life to your family. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have those rules growing up. Mm-hmm. That was not on the table. Like yeah. what kid writes down that my mom told me I love me. Yeah, Cause that's, that's an exception. Like, <laughs> like that hurts my yeah. heart. And I think that's, that's where you kind of do that. Like you're saying, it's like you, you might be open to it because you're open to your kids. Yeah. Like you're never going to just be like, absolutely not. We're not talking about it at all. It's like, no, it's a conversation that you've had. I'm sure you've had it in different, like you said, you've had it in different kind of phases throughout their development and you will as they grow older. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I had questions about people in my family that I 
for this side or the other weren't even, you know, were a part of our life and then maybe kind of went out of our lives. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, you just, you know, you kind of have to find a place for that in your own mind. But I think it, it is such a difficult thing for you is because it's you've had your own personal experience mm-hmm. and now you are trying to create an experience for them mm-hmm. and I am thankful that you have you know like you've mentioned your aunts and there's other things it sounds like you're closer with your husband's family as well I think mm-hmm. you know it's never about like what your kids miss out on it's what you are helping create for them mm-hmm. you know well, and you could say that about any anything but yeah. I, th- I think one thing that I have learned and that I'm, I'm open to is that we create our own families and mm-hmm. yeah, there's always emotions and there's always something connected to the person who is supposed to have the title of mom mm-hmm. or dad or some, you know, have that role, but that doesn't mean that they're your mother, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the people who I've chosen and very, specifically chosen to have in my life are the people who get to take on those roles mm-hmm. um and doesn't change the emotions and, and the baggage and the like strings that are attached with mom yeah. you know yeah. but it, 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 I, I have other people who fill parts of that it's just not yeah. one person who does everything right if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah and it doesn't fit into the the box that it does for I won't even say most people for a lot of people, people, you know, and I I think it is, I think it's hard, especially when you're a child and maybe especially when you're an adolescent processing those things. And it's part of one of the reasons I ask about your sons too. Like if, you know, if they start to get more curious about, about her and about this relationship as time goes on, you know, my, my dad had severe mental health issues as well. He killed himself when I was six and it was not something that my mother was transparent about it wasn't something we could talk about in our family she you know she got married and started having kids again you know just a few years after I was born and you know that was that was our family and that was what she expected to be um you know enough for me and it just wasn't Mm -hmm. like I just I couldn't Mm -hmm. I couldn't like satisfy that curiosity and that in, in many ways pain but but it, you know it was really kind of driven by curiosity in a lot of ways and as time went on it was just something that like ate at me and I think it was mostly because of the lack of transparency and I, so I love what you're describing it's like you've created a family where you know questions aren't off the table where feelings aren't off the table where the different experiences and expressions of of family and of life and of suffering you know are they're allowed they're they're engaged they're you know it's not that we necessarily know what to do about them or how to handle them but we're at least going to try we're not going to pretend they don't exist and I think that is is so important both for you as you continue because because healing is like it's Uh not an event Uh it's not like you went Uh to some conference or had some revelation or like woke up one day and suddenly, you know, your, your relationship with your mom is reconciled and you don't ever, you know, yeah, have any more pieces to pick up. It's like you and your boys will, will like sort through that for your whole lives. Yeah. And if I'm honest, you know, I don't know that I would have been able to create, um, this environment without actually having been a doula. Um, Mm. it is the doula work where I hit hard situations and, I don't know how to react as a mom, so I pull on 
doula skills and I just ask a lot of questions and it usually is like well what do you want or what feels good to you and that's where I turn it back to my kids or you know when I try to look at like well here's rationally what's this happening and what's this happening or this is happening and this is happening but what is important to you yeah um you know I know that I didn't learn those skills from my my family right um but doula skills have definitely impacted our family in a positive way so that I can do that which is pretty incredible yeah there's there's so much about about it that is very relatable and translatable to the rest of our lives Mm -hmm. I agree with that well and I think that personal experience of mine is one of the reasons that I can go in and support families in the way that I do as well because I don't have one experience you know I Mm -hmm. come with many different experiences have seen lots of different experiences and know that it's not always going to fit in the box and that's okay and you can still turn out well and every different family structure can be positive um and so having that I'm able to at least bring in the I get it I can validate that you know I can bring Mm -hmm. in that perspective to the clients that I'm working with yeah I think people appreciate that so much I know that we appreciate that about you it's I think it's rare to find I mean the job of a doula is to have no agenda Mm -hmm. but I think it's it can be hard to find someone that truly has no agenda Mm -hmm. you know or or that at least isn't um you know there's something kind of lurking around the around the the corners and I think that that's something that you embody really really well Mm -hmm. it's just really not even checking your agenda at the door like you just didn't have one to begin with you know you're really there to just support women and families with where they're at yeah yeah and you know it takes a it takes a lot of self-work to get there mm-hmm. um and I think you know Laura and I probably I mean we all know from just even in our doula training a lot of people who train to be doulas think that's what they're doing yeah and half the time they're they're processing their own birth and, sure um, and that's okay. That's all okay. But yeah, it's definitely taken a lot of work. So I appreciate that compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's heartfelt for sure. So, um, you're now at a point where you've got boys that are kind of starting to approach, you know, the, the more treacherous mm-hmm. stages of, of life. How mm-hmm. do you feel going into this period of life? Uh, nervous yeah. <laughs> you're um, gonna figure it all out and report back right yeah, yeah. uh the secret formula yeah <laughs> yeah um i'm hoping that the threes the three-year-old stages prepared me well for mm-hmm. what's coming um i i just feel like we're going into a more intense stage of parenting i feel like parenting goes in these ebbs and flows and um we're just back into one of the intense stages of it where all of the things aren't moving smoothly and it's taking a lot more mental capacity to navigate and Mm -hmm. trying to anticipate and also trying not to grip and hold on to one ideal and just let it become what it's going to become which is really hard as a parent Um, when you're used to steering the ship and maybe you have to let go and let them steer the ship a little yeah, bit. And they want to. And yeah. they want to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're pressing you, for it. Uh, yeah. So we're just going to put our life jackets on and, <laughs> and see where it takes us. Um, it's, it's overwhelming. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's so rewarding and enjoyable at times. Mm-hmm. 
and you don't know when those moments are coming or which moment and sometimes you think yeah. the enjoyable moment is coming and it's complete it's opposite yeah. um and it's humbling to see to stand back and watch another human navigate changes in their body and emotions and them feel overwhelmed it's humbling you mm -hmm. know it's it's incredible it's such an it, it is an amazing thing to be witness to um but then there's that added layer of like oh i'm also kind of responsible for this person yeah but i feel like the more i try to steer them the worse it's going to be for them and i yeah. need to just let i have to work on myself of letting go a little bit more so yeah but at the same time i have to somehow navigate so that they still fit within our family you know so my nine-year-old is very much like this is what i want and it's big tantrums if he feels like something is unfair with his brother or mm -hmm. you know it's not what he wants and not in like a selfish entitled way it's more like i he personally had big emotions tied to something that we saw as very little yeah so it's we have to not minimize what things that we think are minimal you know right. but they're important to him yeah that's a big it's gonna be eight in a week and that's very much where he's at too it's like you really half of the disconnect comes from like we just did not see this situation the same way yep and I'm still really mm -hmm. struggling to see it your way, mm -hmm. you know, because we still we really want, like you said, you, you know, the more you try to steer the ship, it's almost like the, you know, the harder it gets. Mm -hmm. And and so finding the balance between like, you know, letting them kind of grow and letting them become independent and yet knowing that, like, I still I'm still here to like influence you with like the values that we've established, you mm -hmm. know, as as important to our family and you know, this kind of culture, if we want to call it that. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you see like certain aspects of that, like taking root and other aspects of it not. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's a scary feeling, you know? Yeah. And what that reminds me of is when, you know, having not, having grown up as a, as a only child and not being around other kids, I had unrealistic expectations of what was normal development for a one or two or three year old. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm right back there. Like I don't know what to expect from a nine year old. And maybe those values that I'm looking for, maybe I need to wait because they're going to manifest when he's 18. And maybe yeah. it's not, it's unexpected of me to, or it's, it's unrealistic of me to expect them right now in full fruition if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Um, totally. But it's hard to just keep myself there and to understand that I need to stand back and look at the whole picture versus what's happening in that moment, that situation that we're all in the middle of. Um, it's hard. I need, right. I need a nine-year-old doula. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it sounds like that's actually what you are doing. It's like that reminding me of your doula who was there, but not yeah. in your face but they were the popsicle when you were hot they yeah. were the cool rag when you were cool you know it's like yeah. I think that is so much of this stage of watching I just recently moved in with my sister and her kids for like you know 10, 8 so it's a lot of like going on 16 yeah. I think the heart you know and I see this with it, you know, being with Aiden too it's just hard to think like 
now you when you're a baby and you communicate by crying and huge emotions and things we have so much grace because we're like you're just a baby mm-hmm. but now poor, they've been a little baby yeah but now <laughs> it's like okay we've been communicating pretty well for a few years like mm-hmm. you've taken on some responsibilities like i've seen yeah. you prove yourself to be like you can take out the garbage you're not a baby yeah mm-hmm. you're not a baby anymore but then now like you're saying all new emotions all new hormones mm-hmm. and all new skills for processing mm-hmm. and so it's like yeah. you kind of have to it's like that ebb that flow you go back and you go forward because you're like everything seems really big and I didn't know it mattered if the cheese was yellow or white. Apparently that's the biggest thing today. It doesn't matter where you go to school or like how we pay our bills, but I told you that we we're going to have pizza and said we have hot dogs and everyone's dying. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, so I didn't really think it was that big a deal, but um, I, I guess no I, one cares about you and yeah. you don't belong in this family anymore. So <laughs> like, exactly. And again, in that moment you want to be like, you're being ridiculous, but you're also like, you're not, I can see how much this is affecting yeah. you. So I yeah. think, yeah. Ugh. But it's more power hard. to you guys and <laughs> you know at least at a birth i'm not emotionally connected exactly. right? I'm like, it's your baby it's not a piece like of your body baby. out there <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and, and and however you know emotionally like impacted you may be by that process at the end of it you still get to go home and like uh-huh. you know kind of shelf it a little bit you know yeah. there's no shelving it with your own kids they're no. just they're there yep they're there at 5 a.m yep yeah yeah well, we, we're just really happy that you were able to share this stuff with us today. It's, it's, a really, it's a really vulnerable experience, and to be able to, to talk about it is, is very vulnerable. So mm-hmm. we, appreciate, we appreciate you being so real with us. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. And your boys will never listen, but you know, you're very lucky to have such a great mom. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I tell them they'll they'll realize that someday. Good. Yeah, they should. They should. I, I told that to Aiden the other night in bed after a particularly difficult evening transition. I was like, Someday you will know how much I love you. He goes, I will never know. He's so dramatic. <laughs> too much Uh, we're going to be doing another episode with tiffany in the near future as well where we're going to talk about her sleep coaching services so um we'll let you know when that's coming out and we're excited for that so yeah make sure you check out the show notes we'll have some information about all the various things that tiffany does in the world of the transition to motherhood and also just some more information about like how to direct you towards doula services maybe in your own community awesome thanks tiffany thanks Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Birth is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.